0: We're continuing where we left off. It is 9-13-2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: All right, thought of the week. It's um, John fifteen analogy. Our Lord draws an analogy about the spiritual life and our roles on earth. He begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, planted in the vineyard, planted the vineyard. I'm sorry, Um, in the, my father is the gardener. In this analogy, Christ is acknowledging his role in the father's plan as the vineyard. The father is the gardener, the one who planned and planted the vineyard. While Christ has a very central role, the purpose of the whole vineyard comes from the Father. I am divine, you are the branches. We are the branches, and we are in him. The subject is fruit bearing, not salvation. The question is whether we are as the church in this world will bear fruit we must realize the fruit we bear does not come from us. Remember, Father planted the vineyard. It was the Father who desired what type of fruit he wants. If the fruit we bear is not according to the purpose and plan of the Father, it is worthless and is in danger of being cursed in the end, it will be birthed. If we do not know the Father's plan for the Church, we certainly cannot produce fruit according to it. Our production is so very important beyond what we know. It requires that we understand the Father's thought before the universe was created. Of course, everyone thinks their works are good works, well, I am challenging you here, because the Father plan for the church was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit through God, only apostles and prophets. Do you really know it? The group we bear is specific to that plan. It must come of the secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God sent for glory before time began. And look at this analogy. I think this is even a to of the mystery what God has planned for the church. Because they make statements there that no one in other generations knew about it. It's a secret wisdom that they're hearing before time began. So the Father had a, us in mind and wants us to have these good things that he planted for us. Remember, the Father, He is a, he's a friend, and we just abide. And he proves that everything that does not bear a good fruit. So we must give thanks for the Father who designed these things for us to have at the church. So this is the thought out the week of the day, as given as analogies, you take a John chapter 15. And doubt we'd like to hear from a prayer given to us by pastor.
0: Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to look to the Lord in prayer. We'll ask if there are any special prayer requests that we can lift up uh, at this time. All right, if there are none. Please bow your head with me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this morning. We thank you for the tremendous calling that we have in Christ. And as we look at the the detail of it, we know that we are the church, and we know that we are teaching and preaching manifold wisdom of God. We thank you, Father, for giving us and uh, filling us with all of yourself so that we can be those sons of God and that we have this calling that you have given us from eternity past. Thank you for choosing us in him before the creation of the world. Thank you for our predestination uh, to our adoption as sons uh, through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the the wisdom that is given to us in this age, the boundless riches of his glory that has been invested in within us. So we also, Father, as we are thinking about such things, we are thinking about those who have called in. Uh, we're, we're praying for each person that is under the sound of our voice, <clears throat> asking that you would help them... Uh, to come to the full knowledge of the truth as well. So we thank you for those who uh, are in our lives. And we want to pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for especially the, the Brown family, uh, and in uh, particular, Pat Brown. We want to lift her up before the Lord, who is at this hour in the hospital. We're praying for the Elmore family. Uh, um, her sisters, uh, relatives as well during this tense time for them. And we also want to ask, uh, uh, Lord, that you, we're praying for believers all over the world and, and the the suffering that is going on in this world today. And we're praying that we will have some solutions to this, so that we can continue to do the work that we been called to do in this world. So we ask for wisdom as we begin our study. We ask that you challenge us uh, because without challenging, uh, there is no growth. We're not rehearsing the things we already know. We pray that you will challenge us to learn even more, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in his name that we pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we have, as you know, been studying in John chapter 15. This has been our course. John chapter 15 is where we are. Uh, so we'll turn there in our Bibles and you have some notes, hopefully, um, I'll pull those, uh, those notes up. So John fifteen two is our verse today. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. While we are in this world, in the, the world, fighting the good fight of faith, we should know that we are not alone in our struggle. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working hard as well. In this analogy, we can see how the Father works to perfect our witness in the world. Our production is important, and not because we will be rewarded, uh, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So it's important to the Father's plan that that we must begin to look past uh, ourselves and see that which is of highest value. We play an important role in the universe and our contributions here do matter to God. I can imagine our contributions may seem insignificant to us but we are precious and God has great expectations of us. Therefore, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That comes from 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. So while we begin this journey into uh, John chapter 15, which is this analogy that we have what we want to do is recognize um, that it is an analogy it's a metaphor and you know but the metaphor continues from John chapter 14 <clears throat> about the context that, got, that Christ laid out for uh, the disciples at that point and it's really, it really stems from what is yet to come. So we want to keep that in mind as we look at John chapter 15, not as an island to itself. Well, we want to see it for what it happens to be in terms of the continuation of God showing us these things that are uh, exciting and new for uh, the church to come. So we'll start, as we normally do, looking at this phrase by phrase. And we'll start with this first phrase. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So uh, the first thought here is, who's who's he talking about here? And that he is the father, the gardener. That's what we learned in verse 1. And he's doing the work a gardener does. Uh, maybe no one here knows exactly, or there's people here I'm sure that know what the work of a gardener is or what you do to take care of uh, uh, fruit or whatever it is you're, you're, you desire, what, whatever you planted. Uh, there, there are some things, some maintenance things that you need to know about when it comes to taking care of A garden, or in this case, a a vine, a vineyard. So some of the things he does, he he lays it out in this verse. What role the Father has in our lives. This is Jesus talking. So he says he he cuts off. That is, and this is where we get from Thayer. It means to raise up, to elevate, to lift up, to raise upwards, to elevate, lift up the hand, uh, to draw up like a fish, that is. That all comes from there. And just to get a definition of what that word is where, that tra- is translated in the NIV, cuts off. That's what it means. to. And I get the lift up part, which is interesting, I thought. So we're moving to point C. So the branches are cut off or lifted up or pruned but what of the believer, right? Because if we're thinking about metaphor and we're thinking about branches which are introduced here in this subject, and we know we should know that we are the branches, right? Not we're not the vine and we're not the gardener. Okay, so but the gardener per- performs this type of maintenance on the the vine and what is he looking for? He looks for Branches that don't bear any fruit. And we're going to find out later what, ha- what, what the state of those branches are. They're dried up, right? They're not, getting, they're not connected to the vine properly, perhaps, as we could see uh, from the context of John 15. But we'll get to that, what it means. But notice, the gardener's in control of that. He's the one that would make the decision to prune or to cut off or to lift up what if the believer, what happens if, that we're talking metaphor, okay, that's a metaphor of what the Father will do to these branches. What does it mean for him to lift up these branches? Well, he is taken up to heaven if the believer uh, is in this situation. So where do I get that from? Second Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and we need to recognize that uh, when we're talking about the branch, we're talking about the physical extension of the believer in time, right? That's us. And if we're thinking about us in terms of, uh, you know, what would happen to us if we were in this world, what happens to us if we leave this world, every example you can think of has been covered in scripture. So we know what happens if we leave this world. Well, you could be absent from the body and present with the Lord, says the context of Second Corinthians chapter five. But we know, this is the truth of it, if we're a believer, we know that if our earthly tent is we live in is destroyed. Notice, so there's two parts of us. There's the soul and spirit, which we now have as believers. And there's this earthly tent that we live in, so if it's destroyed for some reason, maybe it can't sustain life anymore maybe it's blown up maybe for whatever reason happens in this world if it's destroyed, we have a building from God now to, to note the context of second Corinthians five is not you know that we have uh, you know not done what God wanted us to do that is not the context the context is where Paul and other apostles were on the front line. And uh, they may have been martyrs. I mean, it may be that they're uh, you know, called upon to give their life for God. And that too could happen. They could be persecuted. They could be you know, struck down. You know, all these things could happen. That's the context First 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. But notice the same result is if the earthly tent you live in is destroyed, we have a building. From God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with hands, human hands. That is. So, if they are, if we, if we, the branch, are cut off or lifted up, and I, I emphasize up, which is interesting, and this is probably not a thought, but uh, it has to do with uh, pruning. And but uh, I don't know if the Greek word actually meant this, but I'm taking it to note for my play on words, is that we are taken up to heaven, aren't we? The moment we are absent from the body. So let's move on. Point D, remember, this is fruit bearing. This is what we need to remember. Or it works. And it is not salvation, which is by grace. And, you know, that's one of the things people need to separate and, and know, is your birth from living. So what goes on in your birth is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is not even by works done in righteousness. Uh, it is God's mercy that he saved us, right? And through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 2.8.9 and Titus three five that I get all those phrases from. So the nature of salvation is not works. But here we're talking about fruit bearing or which is essentially works so if we're talking about being cut off and this and that we can't be talking about salvation because there is no works that are required there are no works that are required for salvation we should i mean this is and the problem i would see is a lot of christian organizations and ministries have lumped the two together So that when they talk about salvation, it encompasses whether or not you fare well in the Christian way of life, whether you do these works or not, right? So, but we have to even separate it when it comes to physical birth, right? When you're born, you didn't have anything to do with it. Now, believing is non-meritorious, but... uh, when you must be born again well being born is your introduction into the spiritual life and it did not have anything to do with your works so now then you must live the christian way of life that does have something to do with your works so you need to separate that out in the scripture and make sure that you keep those distinctions because the scripture certainly does keep those distinctions So it's not salvation. We're talking about fruit bearing here. So what's the worst that can happen? Well, you won't bear fruit and you won't receive a reward. And we could go on. But, you know, no, God is not pleased with this thought. Let's keep going. Every branch in me. If we think about every branch in me, notice we are the branches. And then in me. So this is an analogy for post-Pentecost. When the baptism of the Spirit will place every believer in the body of Christ. Now you get that from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So there is no in Christ before the baptism of the Spirit. Right? So, the bapti- so obviously what Jesus is talking about, as I said earlier, is a continuation of this, the dynamic spiritual life That he spoke of in John chapter 14. He's not talking about something new. Some new subject. This is in continuation. And he's still talking about the spirit of truth. In fact he continues this discourse. Into John 16. Where he continues talking about. When the spirit of truth comes. When the spirit of truth comes. When he comes. What will he do? We need to be focused. On the church age. That's how we ought to see things here. So so we're the branches and when he says in me that is a f- for sure sign that he's talking about post-Pentecost uh, doctrine here. This is not just uh, talking about Israel or something. right? So the Holy Spirit is the one who places every believer in the body of Christ as 1 Corinthians 12, 13 where it says that we are all baptized uh, by one spirit, whether we are we be Jews or Gentiles, doesn't matter. Now, the the fact that he says whether we be Jews or Gentiles, I'm going to actually read that. I'm quoting it offhand. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. This is where we get to be in Christ. That's it. Then it says whether Jews or Gentiles. You know, that's to say it doesn't have anything to do with the law here. This is apart from the law. If I were to use the, the language of Romans 3. But there is a righteousness apart from the law and so forth. So it doesn't matter whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink, as it were. Another metaphor. And this makes that one body. This allows us to say we are in Christ. But prior to this, Israel was not in Christ. Uh, Gentiles were not in Christ. So now, this is the difference. And and if we look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, I will read that one so as to be scripturally accurate as well. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, what is the difference? Is the same old same old? No. The new creation has come. So what what is the difference? The old has gone, the new is here. We're not just talking about salvation. Because people had salvation prior to being in Christ. So it's not, I know most people say, well, if you're saved, it's like you're, there's a whole new world, new vistas, you, the new vision. I mean, you it's a whole new outlook on life. Yeah, you could relate all that and all of that is true. However, what he's telling you about here in 2 Corinthians five seventeen is something completely new. You're now in Christ and a new, you're now a new creation, never before seen. And that word, new, kainos, means unprecedented, never before seen. Not something old that is new, but something that is completely new, never before seen. The old has gone; the new is here. So, if you're in Christ, that is the case. So, when so all we're saying here is, we want to continue the thought of this analogy from chapter 14 where he illustrated this dynamic life before us. And I think that is what I say in the next point is that we must continue the context from chapter 14 with the expectation of the church age and its new dynamic relationship with the Father and the Son. Now, if you go back in 14 and you look at those verses that speak of that, which we covered in a lot of detail... So John 14, verse 17, 20, and 26, those are verses that uh, speak with expectation of the Holy Spirit to come. What day is he talking about? If we look at verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and so forth. So that is when Christ would be in us, on that day. He's talking about Pentecost. So Pentecost changed a lot of things for us. That we need to make sure we pay attention to. God, it's important to God. It's important to us. So let's keep going in our notes. Point G is where we are. If you don't have notes, if you have notes. It says that bears no fruit. right? So he says he cuts off every branch in me. And hear this phrase that bears no fruit. Let's think about that. Could a branch in him not bear fruit now think about it uh is this possible All right so so the first qu- the question the answer to the first question is could a branch in him not bear fruit and the answer is yes uh and i say is it possible i mean a lot of people think well if you're in christ uh, you know this, <laughs> this can't happen if you're saved and i hear a lot of people say stuff like this unfortunately is wrong because they say things like well if you're a christian if you're truly a christian then you wouldn't do this or if you're truly a christian you wouldn't do that don't tell me what a christian can and cannot do when jesus is here telling us about a christian who cannot bear fruit yeah it's possible we we have to think about this right so Uh, it does happen. Now, let's just make it clear, right? John 15 is not encouraging us to not bear fruit. That is certainly not uh, desired by the Father or even uh, encouraged in any way by the Father that we should not bear fruit. We should bear fruit. This is the point. And what we need to realize is how to do it. There's a how to this. This is not, you shouldn't do it. It's, let me show you how the the proper way is to bear fruit. So point H goes into the how and why does this happen, right? And we're just going to state the obvious. So in the metaphor, no branch can bear fruit. Jesus says this in verse 4. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I think the King James has abide in the vine. Remain, abide, same thing. And that's 15.4. So, so notice, it is not, you know, something that we do by ourselves. Or It, it, it takes God, the will of God and it takes our will in order to bear fruit. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But the next phrase, Jesus just comes right out and says it. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you think about that, it it is pretty clear, it's pretty blunt that there is no fruit bearing apart from Christ. Now, in the metaphor, we have the vine, obviously the branch needs to be connected to it. If it's not connected to the to the vine, it's going to be problems. So, Jesus, even when it comes to branches, period, branches don't bear fruit by themselves. That is not something you see. If you see a branch laying on the ground, you are likely not to see fruit coming from it as a result. It has to be a vine. So, no fruit can bear no branch can bear fruit by itself. It comes The the nurturing and the fruit come through the vine, through the branch. We'll get to that as well. So moving forward, uh, do not be religious about this. I know I already called out people who say that uh, you must bear fruit or else that shows you're not a Christian. You can't say those things, especially if the Bible does not. So in Christ... There is no condemnation. We need to remove that from our vocabulary that, you know, there's somehow, if you're saved, you can be lost. You know, he's not talking about salvation, he's talking about fruit bearing. If you're saved, you cannot bear fruit. That's what we might want to say. But we cannot say, if you're saved, you can be lost. That is a misnomer. The Bible does not talk about that. That is not something, in fact, it, it does, when it does talk about it, it, is, it explains that it is absolutely impossible. You shall never perish, no, not ever perish if you just believe in Christ. That's it. What, what Christ paid for all your sins? What, what, what sin is going to take you out of salvation. And this is a lack of a bearing fruit, and that certainly is not something that would, there is no condemnation to those who are in. Christ Jesus. That is simply the statement that we have to just hang our hat on. So, here it, it happens as a result of you know uh, our not being connected to the vine. We're going to get into that in other verses where he's more explicit. So, the thought is, I'm saying, don't be religious about this thought, right? right? God allows us to use our free will. In the Christian way of life, that's true, right? <laughs> Once you become a Christian, you are not a robot, where God has just programmed into you that you have to do certain things. He still allows, he allows you to express wh- who you are and what your choices are, in, in the Christian way of life. And then when we read, read I'm going to read a Philippians. There's a couple of verses I have here, Philippians. Uh, chapter 2. Let's turn to that. Philippians 2. And let's look at uh, 12 and 13. So it says uh, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this, these verses, 12 and 13, tell us that there is a synergy that has to happen for us to do good works. Okay? And the synergy is, it's not us doing, the works are not ours, but the works are done through us. So we have to submit to filling of the Spirit, right? the influence of the Spirit, in order for the Spirit to uh, work through us. So God doesn't just bully us, and push us out of the way, say, get out of the way, let me do these works. No, you know what he does? He allows us to make the choice of whether or not we will be influenced by the Spirit or not. And that's at a very base level when we think about it, but of how God works in you to will and to, to act according to his good purpose. But, but it it has to do with your will as, as well. You can't just X out your will and say God has overruled you and said you must do this. He doesn't. That's why each one of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. And then there's First Corinthians chapter three, which a lot of people hate this this passage, First Corinthians chapter three it says, uh, "Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk and not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. you are still worldly." For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So listen, this passage is what some have termed carnal Christians. There seems to have been a revolt against this passage by a lot of ministries and ministers who reject this thought. And for some reason, they're saying that it is not possible for you to be a carnal Christian. I mean, you can't be a carnal Christian. This is impossible. There is no such thing as being a carnal Christian. Well, listen, this is not what Paul is teaching at all. And if you look at what he's saying, he's basically chiding the Corinthians because they should have grown, but... They still need milk. They still need to go back to basics. There's problems in the Corinthian church. Well, that's not certainly foreign. Are there problems in the church today? Absolutely. I mean, are we talking about a perfect church? No way. There are problems. There were problems in the early Corinthian church that was under the apostles' authority. And there were other ministers who had ministers at the Corinthian church. That was a problem, that the Corinthians were divided about who to follow. Some were boasting, and there was arrogance, and all this going on was certainly not something that the Spirit was influencing them to do. It was of themselves, and it stunted their growth. That's what we need to realize. They should have, the same ones in Hebrews 5 we saw, the same type of passage where it says well you by this time you should have been teachers you need someone to teach you all over again the very basics of you know the christian life because you're regressing instead of progressing so you need to check yourself when it comes to this because it does have something to do with your will so regardless of what those ministers are saying what they're really trying to say is depart from the thought of being a carnal Christian. you got to be doing the will of God. They want you to do the will. I do too. But I will not tell you that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. It, it says it right here, and it's true. So I would say instead of the ministers rejecting those passages, we should just reject them if they teach such things because it takes the, your free will to do God's will away from you. When God has not taken it away. So don't be religious here. Let's follow the word. Let's be biblical. And follow what the word teaches. Instead of what some ministries are afraid of teaching. Point yet. Yeah, let's keep going. So so if he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. No fruit. So if there is no fruit. It's not the father's fault that there is no fruit. And it's not the vine's fault that there is no fruit. It's our failure that there is no fruit. Just remember that. There it is. We can fail in the Christian way of life. Now, if you fail in the Christian way of life, what are the penalties? You shall not receive a reward. (laughs) It says each one of us will will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, right? So you can be fruitless. Is it possible to have no fruit? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, some people are going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ as believers. However, they will not be rewarded for the things done while in the body. They will not. So the next thought is, so what is the branch doing that is fruitless? Right? What happens? So maybe there's there's production that comes from the branch, but... According to the Father, is not the fruit he wanted. So obviously it is fruitless. So what is what is produced? And here are some of the things in Scripture that tell us. 1 Corinthians 3 really primarily has to do with ministers. But by application, we can take some uh, application here as well. He's, he calls it what is produced by the fruitless believer. Wood, hay, or straw. Now in, in that analogy... They have to go through the fire, and the fire will try every man's work to see what sort it may, what what it is, what, essentially what it is. Now the analogy wood hay or straw those are combustible materials. They will not make it through the fire, and they will be burned. Or in another analogy, uh, you know, with the land and the producing fruit, he says it instead of it producing a crop. That is that the you know. It's good for those who farmed it. It produces thorns and thistles, right? Sticker bushes. This is certainly, it says, and is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. Right? Be careful. And not to say we can't turn this around if that is what we're producing. Yes, we can. Now, those two, two analogies come from 1 Corinthians 3.14 and Hebrews 6.7. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7. So fruit, point I, the reason the father planted the vineyard in the first place, that's what he wants. He wants fruit. Now this is the metaphor. Father is the gardener. He's the one. He's the husbandman. He's taking care of the garden. But it is his garden. He wants to produce fruit from the garden. So uh, he planted Uh, flowing with the sap of the influence of the spirit of truth, right? This is what the Father has planted. It's not just any fruit. We ought to know, this is important, that we know that we can't just throw anything up to God that we think is pleasing to him. And there's a a verse in Ephesians, I always read this in 5. We ought to always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. If we don't do that, then I don't know who we're pleasing. Maybe we're pleasing ourselves. But we're not, we, if we're not doing what he wants us to do, then it's not pleasing to him. So if he's planting and he's after a certain fruit, and you're producing thorns and thistles or wood, hay, and straw, well, he's not pleased with that. You could tell him all day long, you, this is what you produced, and you think it's good, but he doesn't. So it's not just any fruit the fruit he wants and so the fruit flows what the sap from what he planted the seed to the vine to the branch and, to, to, and actually creating the fruit off of the branch so all of that is it is through all of those things that the fruit is produced and what is flowing through there is the sap the vital energy and that comes from God. It's the influence of the Spirit. So if we know what the Father is trying to get us to do, and that is to produce fruit, that is for this particular age that the Holy Spirit has a spirit of truth has influenced us to create. So Ephesians three two through four says, in which you used to live, oh I'm sorry, Ephesians three. Did I put that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ephesians 3, 2 through 4. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed By the Spirit of God, God's holy apostles and prophets. So notice, it's the Spirit who has revealed this. And this is the information that Christ has been telling us that's coming. And we could not bear then. They were in Israel and would never have understood a change in in dispensation. But yeah, this dispensation was hidden. Like it says, it was not made known. Uh, to people in other generations, right? It is, but it is now revealed. So that is what we should be focused on. And <clears throat> then there's Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, chapter 3, 6 through 10. I'll quickly read that. He, was, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he's going to explain what he means by the letter kills and the Spirit gives life in a minute, in the next preceding uh, verses that are ahead of us here. Uh, but what we need to understand is this is something completely new. right? This is not the same thing Israel had. That's how we ought to look at this. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death... And this is the letter guild part, right? Uh, he's, what ministry has brought death? He's talking about the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law helped people to understand the righteousness of God as it related to their unrighteousness. So by looking into the law, you are supposed to walk away with death. I, I, he's, what is he talking about? Which was engraved in letters on stone. It came with glory. So it was glorious, no doubt. Uh, Their salvation uh, associated with the Mosaic law God elucidated salvation even more he showed sin so that the you know as sin abounds, grace much more abounds and sin some more on top of that as we studied that Greek out so this it came with glory so there god he enhanced the problem so he certainly enhanced the solution, right? People certainly know much more about God because of the Mosaic law. So then it goes on to say, uh, letter kills, but the uh, Spirit gives life re- related to that, verse 8. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Will not it be even more? Now, I, I might have you know, thought about the ministry of Old Testament, Israel, that whole thing, the law, as glorious. But there's something even greater than that, says these verses. So uh, back to seven. I'll, now, if the ministry that brought death, there it is, uh, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadfastly, steadily look at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. In other words, it was fading away. Right? They were not supposed to look at the Mosaic Law as an end to all. They were supposed to look at it as transitory, a temporary, until God came later to rectify that. Uh, so it says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit, which we have now, be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, now it, it really, the ministry did not bring condemnation. Condemnation came as a result of what Adam did. But what did the ministry do? It brought forward condemnation in such a way that everybody could see that we were condemned. And that was the same ministry that he's talking about, the the law, we're supposed to look at the law and realize that we need a savior and realize that God has provided a savior, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so forth and so on. How much more glorious is the ministry that really brings, that? Well, I'll just read it, that brings righteousness. So this ministry that we're under is completely different, right? We, we have to go through the bad news to get to the good news. But in this age, there's something unique about what God has done through the baptism of the Spirit. It separates us from our sin nature. So verse 10, for what was glorious... And that's the Mosaic law. It was and no, no question about it has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. So we hopefully, if you miss some of that, or parts of that, this is what you ought to know from that, is that we are not under the old way, the old covenant we're under something new called the ministry of the Spirit. Now, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. In our context, this is why I bring these verses, when the Spirit of truth comes, when he comes, this is what will happen. He will guide you in all truth. He will do this. He will, you know, this all this information is what would happen when the Spirit of truth comes. That's what we, we should know. That's the important part of this. So, I, I don't want you to walk away thinking that uh, yeah I 'm under the spirit of truth. I 'm under the, his influence of which leads me to this new way of thinking, this new way of life where uh, not, what we have is not even to be compared with what they had. It has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. So you should know uh, and not take a religious stance on this. So I 'll keep going. I know our time is getting there. I see it. I'm I'm aware. So, let's keep it going. He he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit. Right? So now we're getting to this next phrase, while every branch that does bear fruit. So we talked about the negative first, which what happens if the branch doesn't bear fruit? Well, it's cut off. It's lifted up. <laughs> What happens to the believer? Well, the believer is absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what happens to the believer. The branch, the physical extension of of the believer in time, well, it's dust to dust, we return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God, if we leave the body, then the body slumps down and returns to dust. What about us? Well, we are absent from the body, present with the Lord. So... What what about branches that do bear fruit? Okay, okay. So branches can bear fruit, but it does require our will, as we have seen. So what we can determine from both of these is some branches will and some branches will not bear fruit. Right? This is you could you could say it is up to the branch, couldn't you? Right? Because if He's putting that on our volition. He's telling you, well, if you don't abide, if you do abide, these are the results. If you don't abide, these are the consequences. This is what will happen from both uh, choices of your volition. Now, We don't need any of this conversation if we don't have a choice. We don't need it. So I, I say this, and I don't mean it to be as blunt as it is, but it is true. The Christian way of life is optional. I don't mean it's optional that, hey, you can do whatever you want. But, you know, ultimately that's what will happen. God will, uh, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive uh, what is due us for the things done while in the body. It matters whether good or bad. Those are the options that you have to choose, whether good or bad. You could you could do either one, but uh, there are consequences to those decisions. Uh, the consequences cannot be that God takes you out of salvation. He will not receive a reward. But like it says in Ephesians three, but he himself shall be saved yet, as one going through the fire. In other words, he's not going to be saved with the misconceptions that he has wood, hay, stubble, thorns, thistles, or bad. He will not be saved with those misconceptions going into eternity. He will not be rewarded for work done that does not uh, the Father's plan. So just to note that it is our will. I say the Christian way of life is optional. I want you to bear fruit just like God the Father does here. But I realize that it is optional. Now, why would you not want to do it? Why would you want to do it? We have to talk about that. But obviously, some don't want to do it. And we can see examples in Scripture where not every believer was uh, rewarded. I could think uh, of some that were uh, disciplined with certain discipline. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For this cause, many of, uh, of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. It says, when we are judged, we are being disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned with the world. This is First Corinthians 11, 33 or somewhere in there. But you should know that there are, what will happen if this happens? Well, what will happen if you do bear fruit? What will happen if you don't bear fruit? We have all that in scripture, so it's not like uh, we're left in the dark to come up with whatever we think is reasonable. No, it's follow what the scripture says. So uh, so just note, it's about bearing fruit. So, But here, point B is an important thought. We probably will end with point B. Because we are getting far in time here, far along. Point B, there was a major division in the early church. Many wanted to keep bearing fruit for Israel. Others wanted to bear fruit for the new church age, right? So... In Acts 15, we're going to scoot over there, Acts 15, 1 through 7. And we should know that, that this happened in the early church. I know like, a lot of people like to think that the early church was just this dynamo of, that bowled over the world and all that. And it was to some extent, but we don't want to ignore that there were problems in the church I hope it doesn't seem like I'm trying to focus in on the problems or the negative I, that is not my my thought, but you need to understand what the limitations are in your spiritual life as far as well as what are the glories of what we can be according to God, given the spirit's influence in our lives we we need to understand both so so here acts fifteen one so this was the dilemma. This was going on inside the church. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circum, now notice they are teaching the believers. Okay, so these are all believers that were we're talking about. We call this the Jerusalem Council, and this is where they got together and they wanted to hash this out. Let's let's see what they what the issues were and what was what were they talking about. We have this in the Word of God. So some were saying, they were teaching believers. They weren't just saying, hey, uh, this is a good idea. They were teaching it. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now you saw where, you know, Jews and Gentiles were, were baptized into the body of Christ. So G- Gentiles, they're not circumcised. That, typically, not not to say they can't be, but circumcision, That's if you want to talk about circumcision, we can go to Galatians in more detail, but here, it's very clear. This is what some were teaching, but further, they had more. It wasn't just circumcision that they were allowed to gain entrance. This is their teaching. It was a lot more, as we're going to read further, but notice, they wanted to... The custom taught by the Mosaic law. That's what they were saying. You had to have that in order to be saved. Now that is works. Circumcision is a work. And it was a sign of the covenant. It had to do with Israel. And uh, you know, it is not what God is directing in the church. There is in the church, there is no, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. There's no Israel in Christ in this age. So let's continue to read. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were against those teachers who were running around saying that you can't be saved unless you've been circumcised. According to the custom of Moses, the Mosaic law. That's the thought. So they were in sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with the other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So they got there. That's the whole thought. Right now you see it. What the issue was. Verse 3. The, the church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. This This was good. But there were some right who did not like this news 4 verse 4 when they came to Jerusalem they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them so they had Paul and Barnabas Barnabas had a lot to say about how God was saving Jews he was saving Gentiles right and remember Peter even had this experience if you look at acts chapter 10 and 11 or we call it the Gentile Pentecost, where the Gentiles received the Spirit under the authority of the apostles. And so that they were one, just like the rest. And Peter even said, he says, if God gave them the Spirit the same way he gave us the Spirit, who was I that I could withstand or stand in the way of God? He he couldn't. So this was... Clear to Peter, so he 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 understood that we were not under the Mosaic Law. Further, this is what they really wanted, right? So, verse fifteen five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, "The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the Mo- the Law of Moses." So there it is. They they did not want to depart. From the Mosaic Law. They weren't just picking and choosing about some. But that circumcision in their minds stood out. They're like, hold on. <laughs> if they're going to come into our body, you know what they need to be? They need to be Israel. And this is what you need to be if you want to be a proselyte to Israel. you got to get circumcised. And then you got to obey the Law of Moses. That's a, if you're a Gentile and you want to convert to Judaism, that's what you got to do. They knew that. And that is what they were telling these early church-age believers. Controversy ensued with Paul and Barnabas, and they were going to hash this out at the Jerusalem Council. So, verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Well... After much discussion. Well, fast forward, we don't get all the discussion. Wouldn't it be nice? And so Paul stood up, and so this one stood up, and so that one stood up on in defensive. No, we don't have any of that. We just have after much discussion. What happened? Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now, obviously, I'm not going to cut through the whole chapter. I'm going to cut this short for the sake of time. We can talk about it more next week. But just to know there is a new way. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are still trying to bear fruit for Israel. Many churches that are trying to get the wisdom of the Christian way of life from the Mosaic law from the Old Testament, which our way of life is not found. It was not revealed to those in other ages as it is now revealed through the Spirit. That's Pentecost, through God's holy apostles and prophets. So they're still trying to bear fruit for Israel. Unfortunately, and they they may be saved because they may have accepted Jesus as their, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They put their trust in, The matter of their soul salvation in his hands, on his shoulders. And they believe in him. But when it comes to the Christian way of life, they're just like these believers here. And thinking. And they're trying to continue to bear fruit for Israel. Well, what will they eventually be bearing? We saw it before. Wood, hay, and straw. Thorns and thistles they will be rejected that in their life will be rejected so we just got to remember as we are thinking about this that there's something new on the horizon if you haven't seen that new then it is up to you to see it is available in the scriptures right there so we want to take our time as we wade through this information to make sure that it is understood so we're going to have to quit today but we will have opportunity next week, to talk more about this and to finish this chapter, I know we verse rather, we did not finish we got a lot more to talk about we'll finish it next week let's bow our heads as we close thank you Father, we are privileged to have been selected to be in Christ before the world began we did not choose you you chose us And we thank you for that choosing. We appreciate the calling that we have received. Now it is on us to live a life worthy of that calling. We thank you for those who are under sound of my voice and we pray that you will give us wisdom as we sort these things out. If If we understand how to bear fruit, then it is up to us to bear that fruit and be pleasing to you in every way. We thank you for that honor and privilege to serve you in this world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And now unto him who was able. Amen. That's what we normally say. You guys remember it. It's in Jude. I'll I'll just read it. We'll read it together, and it will probably sound terrible, but let's do it anyway. Jude chapter 1. It's only one chapter. Toward the end. In the NIV, all together, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all ages now and forevermore Amen